welcome to Bookish at Bethel. This is Carrie Peffley, and I teach in the philosophy department here at Bethel. And I'm Anne-Marie Koistra. I teach in the history department. And this week, we are joined by Professor Mark Bruce in the English department, who's going to talk to us about candide, satire, and lots of fun stuff. Mm Sci-fi, gross humor, um, just so many things that we're going to talk about today. Okay, so Mark, uh, welcome back to our, our podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We have a number of things that students are going to be reading next week. And so I think they include Franklin's discussion of virtue. Mm-hmm. They include Thomas Paine's discussion of deism. And they also include Voltaire and his book Candide. Right. So I don't know which of those things that you want to start with in terms of maybe providing a little bit of an overview of the text first before hmm. we talk a little bit more about it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, I'm the literature guy. Sure. So um, probably Candide is the best thing to oh, start with. Oh, I thought we were going to start with Franklin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I always go for the. If it's got jokes, I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm the first one there. So Perfect. Um, so at, by overview. Yeah. So for people who haven't maybe read it, or maybe mm-hmm. it was a few years ago that they did read it, maybe just remind folks what some of the um, central plot lines right. are in Candide. Uh, a brief plot synopsis, okay. as it were. Well, um, so you've got um, uh, this uh, kind of naive kid. Uh, named Candide, who's the student of a, uh, how do I want to describe Pangloss? A sort of... Um, a quasi-Leibnizian philosopher. Okay. Thank you, philosopher. Um, uh, who, uh, you know, educates him in this philosophy that we are living in what he calls the best of all possible worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, you know, long story short, Candide is kind of an ingenue um, who then has to go out and experience the world and um, keeps running into things that don't seem very plausible to him as being parts of the best of all possible worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Mark. For example, he, he, he keeps running into things like terrible, long, protracted Wars, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and vestiges of the Thirty Years' War, and he runs into hypocritical religion, and um, uh, even goes to um, El Dorado for a while, uh, where there's this perfectly utopian society that still doesn't seem to work very well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, runs into even instances of cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Um, that he has to deal with, which actually I love that bit because there's this wonderful gag there about um, a, a number of people who were forced to feed themselves by some people by cutting off the buttocks of some of the people uh, who then and, and then they had then and then they left in flat-bottomed boats. All right. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's fun to – there are a lot of little gags in there like mm-hmm. that that are almost kind of like worth the price of admission all yes. by themselves. Um, so, yeah, and there's also a love interest, Cunegond, which um, if you look up the cognates of that name in Latin, you'll find some fairly mm-hmm. scurrilous connotations. Yes. Um, and uh, 
we wind up with kind of a, 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 a something that tries to resolve all of his problems with creating the best of all possible mm-hmm. worlds. And we'll be able to debate at the time whether we think that resolution works mm-hmm. uh, or not. Mm-hmm. But that's the basic thing. If you think it's the best of all possible worlds and then go out and experience the world... What happens? Right. Do you still think that? <laughs> that was a fantastic summary. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Some good highlights. So, Mark, what do you um, enjoy teaching when you teach Candide? What are some favorite moments for you in the classroom? Or something else, if you want to talk about something mm-hmm. else. You can yeah. Um, I, my, honestly, my favorite thing to do with Candide is to... Um, read big chunks of it out mm-hmm. loud together mm-hmm. um partially because you know it's it's a a text that's somewhat distanced from us in mm-hmm. time and culture and there's so much humor in it and uh so much satire in it mm-hmm. um I, I you know i should probably explain what satire yeah, is yeah i was just going to suggest um, that so um and I don't think I have a, like a perfect quote off the top of my head, but basically satire is a form of really kind of moralistic uh, writing, uh, not in the Jonathan Edwards sense of trying to kind of figure out what true morality is or something. Um, but uh, it usually the, the voice, the narrator in satire has a very strong sense of morality mm-hmm. and, and a very strong sense of justice. And... Um, looks and and then uh, takes things that are really going on in the world and um, kind of caricatures them, um, uh, expands them, uh, blows them up, um, and in in a way that kind of shows the ridiculousness that's naturally there in the versions Mm -hmm. that we experience every day and that look more normal. it often, too, p- kind of plays on uh, having some fun contrast between um, the formal container of the satire and its contents. Mm-hmm. So, like, you either have a very formal writing style or form of verse or something that's supposed to sound very stately and everything, then you give it content that's, like, completely mm-hmm. trashy or something. Uh, or you, uh, so, you know, a, a good example in our culture that I always love is Weird Al Yankovic. Um, <laughs> Who Anne-Marie has seen at church, right? Yeah. At church. <laughs> yeah, when I was... Like, did you worship with Weird Al? I or... did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to a Church of Christ in Hollywood, and he is a member there. And I didn't know that when I visited the church, but I spotted him, and I elbowed my other graduate student friend, and I was like, I think that's Weird Al Yankovic. And then later I discovered he's actually a member of the wow. Church of Christ. Isn't that so awesome? That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, the sorry, closest I... I ever got to him was uh, at a concert where he came up to Julianne. Oh we were sitting at a concert. And he came up to Julianne and sang a line of one of his songs directly to her. Was it Eat It? No. Oh. It was um, It was a, a It was a song that was a spoof on bad pickup lines. Oh, and fantastic. so I'll never forget the line he sang to Julianne was, "My love for you is like diarrhea; I just can't hold it in." Wow, what a um, tribute! 
and, and, and my daughter was in utero at that point. Oh, so I, I think it um, has borne on her later development right. in interesting okay. ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, you have a very formal container with very non-formal contents. Right. Or you have a very non-formal container with very... Um, Formal contents, content. right? Um, so, you know, a good example would be like uh, Alexander Pope's The Rape of the Lock, mm. which sounds like it's made to sound like the Aeneid, mm. right? An, an epic mm-hmm. adventure poem. And it's and, and the main action of the poem is basically there are these two kids, school, school kids sitting in elementary school and a boy who's sitting behind a girl um, cuts off a lock of the girl's hair with oh. the scissors. <laughs> Uh, and so what happens when you treat something so trivial with, you know, um, my favorite Weird Al song is called Christmas at Ground Zero. Wow. I don't know um, anything about his. Okay. Sam is a, nodding vigorously. In his so, head, like, what yeah, a good choice I mean, this is. So basically it sounds like a schmaltzy old Christmas song of the kind that you hear in any like department store around the holidays. Okay. Only it's about nuclear Armageddon. Um, wow. So the last line is, what a crazy fluke. We're going to get nuked on this jolly holiday. Right? Sounds like something to use um, next week. <laughs> well, so what I, I was going to ask, yeah. sort of related to this, so I, I feel like a lot of times our students don't necessarily, and maybe Americans in general, are not awesome at picking up on satire. Yeah. Do you have your students do anything in preparation for this, like listen to Weird Al? Well, yeah, yeah, I okay. use Weird Al, um, uh, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um and um, I think the important thing to realize about satire is that, you know, it looks it, – it often goes to kind of um, saucy places, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and it, it does things – there are gross things and there are sex jokes mm-hmm. and there are scatological humor and, and all of this, right? Um, and what's important to realize is that the writer of a satire is coming from a place of a very strong sense of morality mm-hmm. um, and uh, is looking at things in society and taking, you know, what for that writer are sort of their inherently ridiculous aspects mm-hmm. and highlighting those so that we see uh, that. And, and the purpose of a, of a, a piece of satirical writing is to show the reader that, hey, there are things that are in your culture that you probably take for granted and see as normal. Um, but when you really kind of zoom out and step back and look at this stuff that you've come to expect as normal, it's actually, um, you know, either pretty ridiculous or very problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it's coming from a place of, you know, wanting to promote a kind of very strong sense of morality and justice. Mm-hmm. And it's going there by this process of, um, you know, exploding uh, things that we take for granted mm-hmm. every day. Right. Um, yeah. So what do you think of the ending? What do I think of the What do I think of the ending? Yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it. Oh, I think it's okay to spoil it. People will be, you know going online anyway to check out what the, the <laughs> what the plot yeah i've got spark notes up as it is so. um well i mean they wind up the, the character the various characters wind up together um in a situation where uh they are kind of living as a tiny little community mm-hmm. off by themselves mm-hmm. um doing basically subsistence farming mm-hmm. and gardening 
um, and more or less minding their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think Candide is being optimistic there at the end, or is this an indication that um, Candide is a little bit more of a pessimism treatise? Yes. <laughs> that's a great answer. Um, no, this, I, I joke about this with my students mm-hmm. because like, I, that's like the standard answer you're going to get from an sure. English teacher anytime you ask them an either-or question, mm-hmm. right? The answer is yes. And, and, and that's different than the answer is both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, in other words, both condition, I, in other words, both of those seemingly contradictory mm-hmm. conditions have to obtain in order for the concept to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, it, so, the, you know, the, the repeated phrase at the end of the book is tend your own garden. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically do what you can within your own sort of individual sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Um, almost, it's not quite mind your own business because uh, it is about cultivating something. Right. Um, and it's not necessarily isolated because mm-hmm. they're in a small community. But... Um, so on the one hand, are we saying, yeah, you, you can have a better life by um, just kind of staying local uh, rather than global, mm-hmm. right? Um, ha- have, you know, influence the people around you, mm-hmm. um, do what you can, and otherwise kind of stay out of things. Um, but on the other hand, there's that kind of flip side of the coin that's more pessimistic where it sounds like oh, we're just hiding, Mm. Um, in other words, there's nothing you can do about how crappy the world right. is. The best you can do if you happen to have the opportunity is, um, sequester yourself off somewhere, mm. uh, mind your own business and try to ignore the rest. Mm. Um, and of course the book explores the extremes of both of those, mm-hmm. right? So we're coming out of wars of religion where everybody was taking local belief and trying to expand it globally and killing each other to mm-hmm. the tune of hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. and deeply brutal wars. Right. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there's the other extreme of sort of withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a happy medium between the two extremes? Uh, is it a cop-out solution? Is it um, the only solution we have? Is, is that ultimately optimistic or pessimistic? I think that's exactly the sort of thing we're supposed to be thinking about at yeah. the end of the book. Mm-hmm. All right, same question for the philosopher in the room. I, I would say also yes. I mean, I think it's ultimately, I mean, one of the things that's being mocked is this simplistic black and white mm-hmm. response to the goings-on in the world. And so our quasi-Leibnizian philosopher in Pangloss is providing these simplistic very intricate, ridiculous explanations for somehow how his philosophical system will work, even despite all of the evidence to the contrary. Nonetheless, there is some sort of explanation that can be given. And so it's it's sort of both and or... or, or can I ask you yes. a question, yeah. Carrie? Um, because I'm not the philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about what you think is the relationship between like Voltaire's caricature of Leibnizian philosophy and actual Leibnizian philosophy? <laughs> so, yeah. So Leibniz... I'm so glad Mark didn't ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know the answer either. That's why I'm looking at the philosopher. Right. Um, yeah. So Leibniz creates this very... And, and he's a rationalist philosopher. So he's going to argue that 
we ought not look to experience to explain things in the world, but instead reason is will provide us with the, the best explanations for what's going on in the world and, and how we ought to behave. So he creates this, it's kind of bizarre, actually, a, a system of very intricate philosophical principles all resting on really one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he's a foundationalist in many ways in the way that Descartes is as well. Um, and that that system rests on this principle of sufficient reason, that nothing can be so without there being a reason why it is so. And so it is a caricature, but it's pretty, it's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like Pangloss is a pretty, I'm, I would prefer that we have our students read Pangloss to reading Leibniz because Pangloss is much <laughs> funnier, but getting at very many of the same, the same ideas. Yeah. Um, so it, do you think Voltaire is satirizing Leibniz or satirizing oversimplistic readings of Leibniz? Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And I think it's really the latter mm-hmm. um, that he's the, the overly simplistic and overly simplistic reading of anything seems to be that's always been my interpretation of Voltaire. Yeah. So the way I sort of take the cultivate your garden at the end is we there is no simple answer and an overly simplistic reading of anything is going to get you into trouble. And Pangloss got some of the right ideas but took them mm-hmm. too far and went overly black and white. Um and that's a problem. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um we should ask Mark what's on his nightstand maybe. Oh yes. What else are you reading? What's on my nightstand? Um, I'm trying to remember the title now. I always have a hard time remembering. Uh, it's, it's a, a book I found at Savers. Um, I didn't I, even know they had books at Savers. I, well, I was doing a thrift dive one night just kind of for the heck of it. And my daughter was like looking at the clothes and, mm-hmm. um, and I happened to go into the book section and they don't always have a lot of books, but they happen to. And there was a big sci-fi section, which got me really excited. Um, did you buy all of the books just right there or did um, you? Uh, well, the stack was, you know, um, up to your nose, it looks at, like at least, at, at no. least, at, at least, I mean, if you put it on the floor, at least up to kind of knee level. Fantastic. Um, uh, but one of the books that was interesting, it was, a, it was an original, uh, printing. So, wow. so a first ad of a book by Marion Zimmer Bradley, who's a great fantasy, one of the old hands fantasy sci-fi, Mists of Avalon is oh, her other oh, big, yeah, I've read that. Uh, like King Arthur type thing. Sure. Um, but this was an early story of hers called Dark Over Landing. Oh. I believe that's the right title. And it's about a group of people in a colony ship uh, you know, generational colony ship who um, the, the, something goes wrong with the ship and they crash land on a, on a planet that they're, that's not the one they're supposed to be colonizing. Um, and the main character is like a geologist. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're trying to figure out first whether they put their resources into fixing the ship or whether to put their resources into setting down a colony mm-hmm. on this planet. Um, and, uh, but then also interacting with all the unexpected things about a completely alien environment, mm-hmm. you know, wh- what are the plants going to do to you? Uh, and then there's also a question about they start finding evidence that there are other intelligent uh, beings on that planet. Mm-hmm. So can you colonize where mm-hmm. there are people 
already living there. Um, so it becomes this kind of interesting sort of meditation on colonialism. Right. Hmm. There's always a little bit of a theme, I feel like, to Mark Bruce's uh, reading. I'm an anti-colonialist. I'll just, I'll just put that right <laughs> out there. So good. What about you, Carrie? What are you reading? I am still making my way through Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Well, those yeah, are so, to be savored. You could be working that's on right. that for the next several weeks, yeah. and nobody should judge you for right, that. Right, right. And, you know, at this point in the semester, it is the time when I start to slow down in my yes. before bed reading. Yeah. That's understandable. Go a little slower. Though I have to, the Poisonwood Bible was one of my other thrift finds, though. That's so, a great book. Yeah, which I haven't read yet. Oh, so. I, yeah, that's yeah. so fun. It's wonderful. Yeah. And also It was like a book. Dark. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Yeah. Well, I feel like, isn't that one of Jenna's favorites too? Yes. Our, our <laughs> dutiful nodding. TA who's like, yes, that is a great book. <laughs> um, what about you, Anne-Marie? I am s- just finished up the Gal Godwin Evensong. And let me tell you, that really grew on me uh, so much. I'd actually recommend it. It's a fantastic book. There's even a little sermon in the middle from the main character who is a priest. Mm-hmm. And she... Um, is writing the sermon for the season of Advent, and it's it's fantastic, and it's a great complex look at marriage. It is not marriage idealized in any way, shape, or form, and yet it's very sweet in a way. But it's it's really it's quite good. Um, we should also mention I have uh, tried to suggest to the fellow teachers on the humanities team. I had a uh, student in my section who, when I asked what the writing project should be for next week on Candide and all these other things that we're reading, he suggested um, maybe we should do some haiku. And so um, if you're lucky, listeners, there might be a haiku on the next episode of the podcast. Uh, We'll see who uh, produces the best one from the uh, sections. Mm Mm-hmm. I might assign sonnets, but, you know. Well, whatever. you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> we'll have some sort of poetic rendition yeah. or characterization of Candide for next week's podcast. Great. Well, you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bookish at Bethel.